HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, Heritage Radio Network podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Byron Bates. We'll talk to Byron about Wild World, natural ferments, and more. We'll taste a blind wine Byron brought in for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Texas-born Byron Bates has been part of the New York wine scene for almost 30 years. He's truly one of the champions of natural wines. After bringing in and introducing his restaurant customers to smaller family artisanal producers, he went on to start his own New York-based wine importation company, Goat Boy Selections. To help further promote these and other producers, mostly other producers, Byron founded the Wild World Wine Festival in 2019 with events in New York and Texas. This year, Wild World is in Red Hook, Brooklyn on October 30th, featuring dinners, seminars, panels, a walk around tasting, celebrating natural wines and other fermented beverages. Byron, you're on the stage now. Welcome back to the Great Nation. Thank you, Sam. Very good to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, Byron, we had you on four years ago, and the reason we had you on four years ago is our friend Jay Strell reached That's out right. and said, I have a friend, Byron, who's really doing terrific stuff. He's doing this festival. Would you consider talking to him? And after looking at everything, I'm like, Jesus, you know, this plays into exactly, <laughs> you know, what's cool, what's important to me. And I just want to point out, and I swear to you, this is not rubbing it in your face. Mm -hmm. But to that point, the Grape Nation has been an early supporter of Wild World. 
you, you know, because when it happened, it's like, let's do it. We've been a supporter of other festivals like Character, Raw mm-hmm. Wine, the Fancy Lala's, you know, and we've also been very supportive of the uh, smaller, natural, family, artisanal and thoughtful natural wine producers. So it's great to have you back. Um, so let's get started. As I mentioned in the intro to you, you've been at this a long time. We both hate to admit how long we've been doing stuff, but that's the reality. For sure. Um, you know, a lot of times I ask my guests to talk about their history and that chronology to where they got. We kind of discussed that last time. What I'm curious about is where and when that time you got interested in natural wines, and I'm going to use the term natural wine for sure. lack of anything else. Sure. You know, I mentioned earlier smaller producers, family, artisanal. But when you got into natural wine, give us a little, give me a little background on where and when you got interested in these wines. And somebody had to sort of nudge you towards them. You know, so who was that? Uh, nobody nudged me towards it. I was uh, in mid nineties, early nineties in the restaurant business, and uh, we we would have, often have wine training. And I remember um, I, I liked wine; uh, I was interested in it. But at twenty two or so, you don't really know much. It's it's you think it's this huge subject that's extremely hard to grasp for some reason. And uh, I remember we were tasting Opus One. Uh, <laughs> the, the sales rep uh, was our manager, and um, everyone was ooing and aahing, and I thought it was not good. I thought it was uh, closed and oaky. Uh, and later, I didn't know why I thought that, and everyone liked it. But I didn't just assume, oh, me stupid. Uh, you know, I, I kind of felt I was on to something. And by chance, I went to Paris that summer uh, for uh, the first time as an adult, and Wine related or just other? No, know, not at that age. Um, yeah, I, I was always interested in places, and I had the Patricia Wells book, and I don't know if you remember that. It was it was seminal. Uh, she had the chapter on wine bars, uh, and we'd we'd highlight them and check them off and go to all the places. And uh, I don't know what I was expecting, but what I got was uh, working class bars where. Uh, people would come after work and slam like a chilled Beaujolais. And I was coming from this culture where wine was something that was, uh, I guess you could say snooty and it, it you had to have a score. Uh, it had to be a grand cru or a premier cru to even be worth your time. There's a famous sommelier who I won't mention, um, who a sales rep told me he went in to show him uh, or her um, a bottle of wine, and he just looked at him and folded his arms and says, "I, I don't do uh, van de pays." <laughs> like, I mean, that's that would be absurd now for even this person to say that. So there was just this culture where wine was something different back then. Uh, you had to get your wine through uh, mail mailing lists, like the Rocchioli phenomenon, the uh, Jay McInerney wines um, that he championed. Is uh, this as a consumer cabs. or a restaurant? Uh, as a consumer, right. I mean, this is the information you're being fed. And it's what you talked about in restaurants. Like, did you see the spectator? You're 25 and you're like, spectator, what's that? The top 100 came out and, and right. so-and-so won. Like, oh, those must be great. 
But having uh, drinking wine as working people drink wine and as the French drank wine, I think for me and a lot of people really opened our eyes to like, wow, you can drink wine like it's like it's like it's Michelob Ultra and, and just goes down that easy. You're not chilling opus. You're not chilling opus. Right. That would be disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe better. Yeah. <laughs> so th so that was the that's the let's call it natch because I hate the word natty and natch is even worse. So the irony works for 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 what I want to say. We both accept that as a working <laughs> platform. Well, natural wine, uh, before I move on, um, uh, many people like to jump on the semantics of, uh, well, it's not natural. It's, I mean, the word natural wine comes from the French word nature, and the Americans changed it because of our uh, fetishizing uh, things that are natural and making us feel better about ourselves. But it really means nature. And in, in, in France, nature means uh, raw or naked, like you get a, a yogurt that's nature. And that's where the word started, that it has no definition or legal term is irrelevant and a boring uh, uh, semantic argument. We know what we mean by natural wine. It's, it's, it's nature, it's naked. It can have sulfur, but not much. Uh, nothing added, nothing taken away. All that stuff, yes. You know, you liked wine, you had the opus, you went to France, you yes. saw the working class. Yes. You know, now we're almost at the point where you came back and I guess you're starting a life pointing towards an interest in natural wines, right? Uh, not natural wines yet. Uh, they, okay. they, were, they weren't here yet. We, well, there was early natural wine, uh, which we call pre-natch, uh, which was uh, <laughs> the Kermit wines. Um, pre, I mean, there were some Sanssouf uh, Lapierre that came in. I think Phil Sorrell found all these for Kermit in the, in 94. Um, so those were really the first natural wines to come over. Um, but they weren't all Sans Souf. And aesthetically, they weren't challenging, even the Sans Souf Lapierre. Uh, but they were natural. I think when we talk about the start of natural wine, we're talking about maybe Courtois and Darden Rebo and, and some earlier things that kind of went Any of the beyond. Any guys? Or not? No, the uh, Beaujolais ones never did that. Do, do you remember the first? I don't want to use the word funky, but the first Courtois or yeah, or you know, where it's like, oh, what is that flavor? Yeah, different than a uh, uh, Beaujolais. Different than yeah. than than natural Beaujolais. Yeah, and for me, that was Courtois or Darden Rebo. I know it. Um, uh, an early Darden Rebo, uh, maybe ninety-seven Crow's Hermitage. Um, I mean, me and many of the early natural wine people remember standing around drinking that, and that was kind of a changing thing. But, um, yeah, we got more and more into them. The word natural wasn't around yet, uh, at least not here. Uh, I didn't hear that word until 2000. I was uh, doing a wine list for a place on First Avenue, and um, a, a company called Vineyard Expression came by. And uh, Mark, Mark Chapman, Mark uh, Whitmore, uh, and his sales rep, Donald Breckenridge, who still is in the natural wine trade, also a novelist, uh, <laughs> brought by some Courtois and uh, other natural things. I don't remember. Uh, but they, were, they were really wild, and they made sense with, with some of the food that we've had, and that it was the East Village. It was more engaging and conversational and uh, uh, exuberant. Uh, and pure, but it was it was a challenge. Uh, was the challenge getting 
the consumer, the restaurant person to drink them, like to recommend and they go, I never heard that or that doesn't sound great. Absolutely. I, I mean, but before sure. that, the challenge was personal. I, I knew I was like, you know, what is this? Like, this is, is, is this wine? This is, is this you. Yeah. The, oh, with yeah early, the really wild ones, the Courtois, right. I mean, the, the, the door, the one with the teardrop on it, the white was kind of oxidative and, and not something I'd ever had. But I kept going back to it. But was uh, there another handful of wines considered to be natural that weren't as funky or that was really? Well, we didn't know yet. It was okay. it was Cru Beaujolais, like Lapierre right. and Foyard, the gang Which of was four. not funky. Yeah, we, we, it wasn't exactly. So when it all kind of uh, came together when, when Vineyard Expression and then soon after that, Jenny and Francois imports. And then soon after that, uh, Dresner, who was before, but really became... What are we talking? Late 90s or are we into the 2000s already? Uh, Vineyard Expression was late 90s. Okay. 2000s was, uh, I think, 2001 was the first time I saw Jenny. It's crazy how not that long ago all of this is. No, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was very fun. And it was a diverse group that was kind of saying um, anti-establishment. We kind of hated that that some culture that that kind of didn't like us either, you know, and didn't accept us. It was snooty and and you know male driven and and machismo and and just male splaining everything. And you had to like <laughs> this and 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 opening just just ridiculous wines that were just over oaked and too serious. There there was no fun in it. Uh, God bless them. You know, many of them were. Right. natural wine uh, advocates now. Some of them have started companies selling natural wine. It's just too interesting to ignore. Right. Um, but uh, it was a struggle early on. Uh, I don't want to, you know, this. I didn't do anything, no, no, nothing heroic, but... Um, but you think, carried to the next restaurant or as years went by a conviction. Absolutely. And a dedication towards, you know, these wines producers and getting them out there. All of the early people did. I think we all, we knew we were right. It's just that thing that clicked and we're just like, this is what everyone should be drinking. And if they don't, um, it's all I want to sell. I can't go back to the other so ones. So like, can I pull something out of the air? You were at Balthazar many years ago. Big boisterous restaurant. You know, interesting place, interesting owner. Mm -hmm. You're there championing, 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 I can't say it, the wines. Um are people receptive? I mean, I kind of asked you that before. I mean, did McNally let you bring these wines in? No, not then. No. Um, so the Balthazar days were not really... Well, <laughs> everyone was there. Right. Uh, that's, not, that's its significance. That's, yeah. that's sort of the seed of where everyone came so there from. there must have been some magic there. For some it. reason that happened. So then but, everyone kind of flanges off you know, and starts really driving the mission. Yeah, I don't remember. I remember us talking about Beaujolais a lot, but, um, and when the Darden Rebo was opened, I remember those moments. But Jonathan Nossiter, who's uh, a, a semi-champion of natural wine now, uh, his list was very interesting. It was all French, which was, that's what was uh, radical then. Uh, that it was an all French list that was heavy on Alsace. But it was That's mostly, even more radical. That was very radical. But where's the radicalism that there was no American 
and Italian that's or right. mostly Napa that's crap right. and all that stuff? That, that, that's okay. right. It was that's what people of. were looking at. Those Parker big Napa cabs. That's people right. Were, okay. I, I had an owner throw a list at me and said, where's the Farniente? There's got to be Farniente. <laughs> Which was a, would be an absurd thing to say today. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so it was radical to have an all-French list then. So uh, that was Nasser. That was Nasser. to do that. Mm-hmm. Got your attention. Had some influence on it's you. Sure. It was, it was natural light. Uh, Rosenthal. Um, um, a lot of Skernick. Um, I think there was a little bit of Kermit. A lot of Beaujolais. So there's an aesthetic to Beaujolais that... The, or to the glue glue culture that's such a big part of right. natural wine that, right. that was there. So there were there were elements, but it wasn't formed yet. Um, I think when Arnaud Earhart, he opened 360 in, in the early... Uh, was that two, out in Brooklyn? It was in Red Hook. Red Hook, exactly. right, which is funky neighborhood then. A funky neighborhood then, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, which was really interesting, and everyone, you know, he had, he had a great list. Uh, that went really deep and was was all natural, which was which to me that or um, Bow 111 in the East Village by the two Chris's, Chris Andrews and Chris Johnson, was an early all natural list in the city, um, and everyone was considered pretty nuts for doing it. I think Arnaud got away with more because it was Red Hook, and you're expected to be a little funky out there, right. and and you can take risks. And you don't have the Manhattanites or the, the but he kind of sifted that noise out. I'm sure he got a few people yeah, where's yeah, the party yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but what? Yeah, that that makes sense. So, is that that restaurant and that list sort of the beginning of the commitment? You know, well, I remember Jorge Riera, uh, who were very good friends. We were very close back then. I had a little restaurant, um, uh, kind of a punk rock cafe that served food, kind of old school. Um, and wine? Or the- yeah, it was all, we had all 10 Beaujolais crews. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I remember he had just come back from Le Dipute in 2000, I think this must have been 2002. And he could, you know, his voice fluttered. Uh, he was so excited to show me these wines. And I was like, Oh, these wines are effed up. Uh, but his, his enthusiasm you know, intrigued me. And it just took off from there. And we had parties with, with Terry Puzalot at, at the restaurant, Olivia Cousin. This was just like, it's like piano. It was basically, we opened the same week as pianos in, in, in Were the, the parties for and, you or you were able to get people to come and drink? I well, mean, <sighs> little of both. Little of both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We, I mean, there just was, wasn't that big of a culture for this then. Uh, but we had a lot of passion for it. Then Laurent Sayard came along and... Um, another notable. Another notable. Uh, he was um, a big champion of, of the wines and now makes the wines. Um, but yeah, I mean... I Jorge has served me his wines. They're terrific. Yeah, Jorge just had such passion for these wines yeah. and was such... Uh, uh, spoke about them with, with such enthusiasm. It was, it was infectious, uh, and you just wanted to try them. Um, and and the, that's what happened to me. And Bill Fitch, who's also one, uh, works with me importing wines. Um, so you're open, 
and you're already taking it in. But you meet guys like Jorge, who even you're looking at saying, oh, my God, this sure. guy's like off the charts about this stuff. Sure. You know, so he that's infectious to you, too. He took it to the next level. I was already on board with Glue Glue and Beaujolais and, and light whites, light reds, not oaked. Um, and he, he took me to the next step. And I became very enthusiastic about the wines. We, you know, Puzzalat, Moss, uh, a lot of the early ones. So I may be leaving a gap in between, but at some point you're doing this, you know, there's uh, recognition of natural wines more than before. Um, you know, you worked at a handful of restaurants. When and why do you get out of that and start an import company? Um, <laughs> is it you want to get off the floor or it's, it, you yes. could be more effective importing than somming? I, I, I got a job as a GM at ISA in Brooklyn and I did the wine list. I wanted to do, there wasn't much of a budget, so I wanted to do something uh, I, I hadn't done with natural wine yet. Um, so how do you make a statement with a small list? I, I decided to do something, which is a little eye-rolling now, but <laughs> it made sense to me then, which was all sans-souf list. Um, wow. And the younglings on the floor and in the kitchen uh, accused me of being, uh, you know, a 40-year-old man that was copying what the kids are doing. Like, like oh, natural wine must be cool, so I'm going to do that too. And there was that, such that a, must have hurt a little. It was absurd. <laughs> it yeah, was absurd. absurd is the right word, actually. And, and it's funny now. It's, uh, you know, it, I was thirty nine or forty. Just the ageism on the floor I saw, and uh, the I wasn't on, I wasn't comfortable working in the floor in a restaurant anymore. Uh, nothing bad happened. It was just like it's time to move a on. Culmination and that towards the end. So exactly. you, that happens and you go, well, what am I going to do? And the logical thing was stay in the business, represent what you believe in. Well, there was a, a feeling then that there were too many importers, which is funny now because there's triple the amount of natural wine importers that there was in 2013 when we started. Too many natural leaning importers? Or? Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a story where Joe Dresner pulled Zev Robine aside, which... Uh, does Joe look at Zev as like a small startup? Oh, he, I think he, I think the story Zev told me once is Joe told him is like, there's no there's no more wines. You should get out of this business early on. Um, which is kind of tongue in cheek. Joe had that way about him. That's you know, but th that was the feeling. And in 2013, people would, threatened. would 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 say, well, there was also the feeling that might be true. And 2013, people were, you know, what are you going to get? There's no more wines out there. But, of course, there is. I was going to ask you this question later, and it's, you know, don't, mm -hmm. you don't have to give me a long answer. Are there still wineries that have no representation that need guys like you? I mean, whether you like the wine or not is your call, but you could travel through France and Italy and Eastern Europe and you could still pick up or everyone's got their hands on someone? No, uh, you can always find things. And is there decent stuff out there? That's harder to find. I mean, we, okay. we've, we've got a really good team. Uh, we have a partner in France that is, a, as they say, an OG natural <laughs> wine from the 80s in France, and in Paris who connects us to a lot of people that would normally 
export to America or haven't been looked at. But the problem with too many importers now is it seems like such a fun business that people are bringing in wines we would be approached with years ago and just kind of like, oh, these guys again. Like, right. like they're never going to get imported. The wine sucks. Right. And you're seeing those come in now because there's there's an upstart of some importers. Some are great uh, that are starting to bring these in. Because they, they need to bring something in. They need in. to bring something in. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been to festivals, not sure Wild World, where you talk to people pouring and they have no representation, which is part of the reason they're here. It seems crazy. And early on, I mean, I don't maybe in the last couple of years that's slowed down a little, but that's been the case. It's like who represents you? Goes nobody. Else. You know anybody? It's it, it's it's difficult. Uh, but maybe the wines aren't. You know, certain big books may have too many producers yeah. that are similar, a and they don't want to. Yeah, where they suck, or they suck. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, all right. So you, you gave me you answered my question on you know how the how natural wine touched you, how you stayed with it, how you ran with it, and how you got to, uh, you know, importing it. So for me, this is a good segue to my next question, you know, which you and I kind of collaborated a little about some of the things we want to talk to. And this is such a big one because, you know, without really asking you, you did define natural wine in your mind. I, 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 lost the audacity to say, Byron, you're an expert. Give me your definition of natural wine. You you came out unsolicited. But here's here's a segue that's interesting to me. The history of natural wine in the U.S., which you talked about a little because kind of you were part of it, but I'm interested in the history as it applies in the U.S. Would you say some of the things we discussed you know, are important to, you know, the exposure and growth of natural wine? You know, you New York guys, Jorge, Arnard, all those guys? Yeah, yeah. But take take the history thing to a bigger place, too. Do do I think there we, we've helped well, expand natural wine globally? Or, or you were part of the early history in the U.S.? Uh, sure. Yeah, sure. So... So what is the history of the U.S.? Is it fair to say what you discussed is part of it or a start? Sure. Well, there's, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm leaving some people out. Of course I am. And Don't apologies worry to about any of them. that. You, um, you know, I mean, you're not going to get everyone. Well, it's just become, uh, you know, there was Lou Amdur, who's in Los Angeles, who I know was very early uh, champion of these wines. Um, it was difficult to to sell the wines early on and they would re-ferment um, the owners of the places you were doing the list for would um, I remember protests like what's <laughs> wrong with you why are you why is this on the menu and and I, I stood by it and and you know there's I remember having Telkel by uh, it's, it's a Gamay um, called La Telkel I think it's Puzalat Puzalat um, anyway, a Loire uh, cuvee in 2005, and it's everywhere now. But we poured it by the glass then, and I remember I was like in a corner of the restaurant, like, what have I done? People are <laughs> like, I can't believe you're selling this. 
In a bad way. In a bad way, yeah. Did you say uh, it re-fermented or some of the wines re-fermented? A lot of them did back then. There wasn't what we call mouse now for some reason. So re-fermentation. In the bottle. Yeah. Whatever the mousy thing or how wide of a, it, it would get that. Yeah, the corks of, would be pushed out. There wasn't right. the shipping standards now. What about uh, appearance? Did it get cloudy or that wasn't? There was a little bit of that, but yeah. not, not as much as now. Now that's a plus, I think, Right. Uh, than it was uh, they were a little cleaner. There were certainly cloudy wines, but I think definitely more now. All right, so stay with the history mm-hmm. in the U.S. You know, keep what what are some of the other things, you know, that, that were happening that kind of built the foundation, you know, for uh, natural wine? It was it. Well, um, I mean, not until the teens did it really kind of start to go mainstream. I mean, you had a handful of people, uh, which we we discussed in the odds. Um, Are you talking like thirteen or eighteen, like two thousand ten to two thousand twenty era? Okay, so that that decade was a. That's when it, it changed and went uh, expanded. And what were the things that made it expand? Importers, guys like you that were succeeding and getting it on lists, evangelizing these wines. Well, I don't know if it was anyone's goal to to promote or evangelize them. Uh, I think I remember going to uh, like a corporate wine event in the early, uh, like maybe 2011, 2010. And, you know, there's Sonoma Couture. There was, it was a big event. But there were two natural people, I think from um, the Rhone. And all these people were regular people you'd see it like Aspen food and wine, like corporate food and wine lifers. And the, there was the line for the natural wine producers were exponentially longer. There was a long wait. So whether they wanted to admit it or not and, and roll their eyes at what was happening, they were curious about it. And, and it couldn't be ignored any longer. Uh, the wines are delicious. They can go to places that um, conventional wines, commercial wines can't. Um, they're more prone to be flawed uh, because there's no additives or, or, or fewer additives and fewer chemicals. But uh, you're going to get... Um, so you, you're talking about this wine event in 2011, you said? Yeah. And it's I mean, now and 2023. It, maybe it was earlier. Are people more educated, even if those flaws exist, or there's more consistency or both? Well, there's more consistency. Well, there was more consistency. Now there's so many people are bringing in some of the stuff that's not really good. Um, right. There's an influx of importers now that are bringing in things that aren't good. There's also mainstream commercial books that are bringing in stuff that's not really interesting that's where this stuff goes though with any category with any category yeah you know i mean it's just kind of sad how it gets proliferated by people just wanting to be in that crowd yeah for sure so um yeah i think this this curiosity came about i think young people really picked up on it uh it's a culture that's inclusive uh it's interesting it's, it's really easy to understand right off. And you're understanding something that um, you're, you, you thought you never could, like wine. Oh, I understand wine. I thought I would never understand this, but I get this. And it's not what I thought it was. It's not this serious 
Parker 99, uh, Wine Spectator, uh, Mystery. It's not my parents' wine. Right. And, and I think kids really expanded this. Um, and, the, and the culture of inclusion, the culture of, uh, it's a lot like music, you know, it's what your friends are listening to. In this case, it's what your friends are drinking. It's a good and, point. Yeah, that's that's where you know what are you drinking? It's 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 you don't really learn it. It's, or you go to a party and you bring two bottles and you turn people on. That's right. Not even the question. It's the serve. That's you know? right. Yeah, I mean that that that's a big part. Do you think the proliferation of natural wines in the U.S. was on a similar parallel to Europe, or because everything you said, you know, this demographic and you know, how the wines came in. Is it is the history in the U.S. totally different then? The thought process in Paris is, is different, but the uh, trajectory is, is exact. Uh, there's such huge connections between the scene in Paris and New York. Uh, you know, from Four Horsemen to Le Gavrilet right. to, you know, everyone knows everyone very well. And... A lot of us are, a lot of us are doing the same thing, or are in, inspired by each other to do similar things. Is there still a not still? Is there a demographic sweet spot, like for everything that's going on? The majority of the interest is t- drinking age to forty. Less interest over forty. Is it wider? Sit ten years ago, that thirty-year-old has now grown to a forty-year-old. I mean, or is it pretty inclusive? Is it like now? hippies, where when they turn forty, they yeah, <laughs> same thing with music too. Again, yeah, yeah with music, yeah. Um, no, there's a lot of uh, middle-aged and older uh, people that started in their twenties and thirties in this that are very much into this. But yeah, the sweet spot is young people. Is it fair to say that once people know that generation is big on, you know, background and stories, once they know the story, you know, about these wines, you know, where they came from and how they're farmed, is that as important to them too, other than just the label? I think the story Because we talked about orange wine, just because it's orange wine, it's cool. What is it? I don't know. Right. You know, natural wines that... But there's more, and that's the story and the people. Is that what drives people towards the interest along with the product? Very much so. Okay. Uh, I think to a fault sometimes. I think sometimes we know too much about our producers. Um, you don't know who makes your vacuum cleaner, so you can't judge them. Sometimes you see a flaw and, you know. I'd like to meet my vacuum wine. cleaner guy. I'd like to punch him in the head. The battery lasts like 34 minutes. You think it would be longer, right? You, these days you think it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So before we got to take a break, um, in a couple of minutes and, you know, of course I want to move to, uh, wild world and, you know, you and I could sit here and probably do a season of shows on this topic. Um, well, I was there, I'm not the expert and I don't think there is an expert on this. But uh, I think you're underselling yourself a little. I think at least by osmosis, <laughs> you know, you were there. Yeah. You know, it gives you some information that wasn't accessible to other people. Um, yeah, let me let me calm you down. You're a mini expert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is that fair enough? Um, I'll take that. So one of the other things, you know, as you and I were corresponding is 
one of the things you said, and, and make sure I'm on the right track with this, if it applies to what we've been talking about. You mentioned in a very short line, you know, let's talk about the fact that the wine industry is in trouble. Do you remember saying I that? I don't know if, well, I, I, I maybe said something as grandiose as that, but I doubt it. But um, what, what were you thinking when you wrote that? Because all the other things you said oh, were okay. all. Well, I, I, I think, uh, you know, the natural wine world itself is in a little bit, a little bit of trouble because, uh, well, many factors. One is climate change. Uh, I want to, I want you to address that, but lead me into that, you know, the other trouble things. Uh, there's, um, there's many people um, imp importing things that aren't good right now. Right. There's uh, markets have disappeared. Like the rosé market is suddenly gone and people are closing out wines right now and flooding the market with, with closeouts. Uh, and so we're not clarify that a little. You have all these importers, they have inventory, they don't want to be stuck with it. So they're going in the market and flooding the market. Exactly. Which kind of pushes you aside because, hey, Byron, thanks, but I can get this stuff. For it pushes, you. yeah. And if it's pushing me or us aside, it's pushing the winemaker aside too. Right. Like we can't buy well, right now. That's the reality. Because, uh, that, that's the reality. Yeah. Like any business. Right. But I would just wish people knew that. You know, I wish, um, I wish sommeliers or wine directors would, you know, I understand the pricing. I, I've done this my whole adult life, but when it's, when a wine is $24 and a Budweiser or a cocktail is still 14, like you're just sending the wrong message. You're hiding all of your costs in wine. And these wines, people have experience with them where they're not to their taste. They're flawed and they're told they're not flawed by, by an inexperienced sommelier. Um, they're not exciting because they're selling an $8 bottle for $24. So I think people are, shy to order wine on a wine list. And I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, say anything bad about my friends that are sommeliers because some of them work in very expensive restaurants and it's justified. But I'm talking about where a cocktail is $14, you, you need a wine that costs that price too. Right. Uh, otherwise, people aren't going to buy it. Yeah, I mean, logically, you need to compete. You need to make it compelling. You need to make it a consideration. Exactly. You blow it right out of the water, you know, with an eight ten dollar differential. And when it's a risk, right? You know, right. conventional wine knows, you know, right. that 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 Opus One at at thirty dollars, they know what they're getting. It's not Mayomi Pinot Noir. Is no, what you're it's saying. not exactly right. right. Um, anything else before I want you to talk about climate change? So they're flooding the market. Um, what else? You know, what are some of the other troubles that you a have? lot of misinformation? Uh, a, a lack in, of, in what form? A lack of curiosity and excitement from some sommeliers or programs. Um, I think people need to do more research and work digging up wines maybe people have never had that they're excited by instead of digging up eight dollar bottles that are on closeout that uh, no one is excited by anymore. Um, is, is has there been a shift in the psalm world? that prompts you to say that or that vibe has been going on because a lot of people you and i know you work with you know people that are friends left the floor 
you know, and they're doing similar things, importation or, you know, whatever. Is that because those guys were better at it and the new people aren't? Or that's always been the mindset where there was always a sector that had that mindset? I mean, that was always how this was dismissed, like, like the sommeliers. I mean, we get it too. Like, I'll send a wine back and like, well, maybe you don't like natural wine. Have you had it? And then just like, you just take it and like, okay, whatever. Right. Um, but I think, you know, you're, you're, your average customer comes into um, a restaurant to order a glass of wine, and maybe the you know the sommelier is young, which doesn't mean anything, but maybe they're inexperienced too, right? Um, or they their enthusiasm is misguided. It's in one spot because uh, they visited this one vineyard, and, and and the magic dust was sprinkled on them, and they're in well, one country. Yeah. And even that's fine, but but I think it's I, I wish we weren't all selling the, I get this a lot from my friends. You know, we see the same wines a lot of the same places. There's not many people digging deeper. Not, there's not many good record stores with that killer import section. Uh, it's like, where did you find this? I've never seen this. It's like, oh my Records, God, you've got you have to dig more. Yeah, no, it's, you know, no, it's, oh my God, you've got Ganovet. This is going to kill, it just, which is great. But I'm more personally... I want you to show me something I've, I've never seen. Right. I, I That's just kind of safe in that, you know, genre. But is access to these wines? I know, you know, I talked to Justin Cherno or whatever. He goes, you see that? I get three bottles now. I used to get cases or whatever. Is access Well, access to is you a problem. And then yes, you yes, to the yes. restaurant. And that's where why you need that to was dig available. for other stuff. Yes. Right. But that's to be, you know, even, you know, Justin will admit, so I couldn't get that. I found this. Yeah, You know, exactly. that's inquisitive. Other people are like, I couldn't get that. I'm screwed. So access, because so many people are interested in the allotments just continue to shrink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was early on um, when I did a, a list that was mostly natural. I would get, you know, Manhattanites come in and go, I don't know any of these wines. <laughs> Like you're not supposed to. Like, right. like <laughs> it's like okay, you okay. feel like you validated the subject. Yeah, exactly. It's like silly. again, where's where's the funny into it? Yeah, it's it's a good point. Um, let's close out on and and this is not a subject you know that should be rushed, but you know you don't have to spend forever on it, and that's the affectations of climate change in the world you and I are talking about, you know, which is, you know, natural producers um, in that sense. Um, you know, we have a concern about climate change. To people that practice thoughtfully, is it different for them? Is it harder for them? Is it because they're smaller? They're not money? There's more on the line? It's, it's all those things. Um, and I, I don't want to pretend to be an expert on this, but what I've seen and been told um, first of all, if you want to talk about climate change as, as a controversy, you won't get that from uh, natural winemakers. It's just a given. It's a shrug like 100%. Of course there's climate change because they're all seeing drastically different uh, 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 picking times. Uh, right. They're seeing more hail. They're seeing... Uh, which is maybe the worst. Later, um, later bud or earlier yeah, pick. Exactly, exactly. Or frost. Frost, right. So some producers have, um, th they're doing co-ferments. Uh, they're making wines with, with other people. There's a Loire producer that was buying Merlot from a Roussillon producer. 
and vinifying it in Chinon uh, and, and selling it. And that's, that's commonplace now. Uh, maybe less natural sometimes than it used to be because they need to make a living and can't afford to lose what they do have. And I think as consumers and dogmatic natural wine uh, buyers, we need to be more patient and understanding of that. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a commodity. It's a product we enjoy. And if they need to make a living, sometimes, you know, a little sulfur is, is not... Right. It is not the boogeyman. Um, you know, they're just trying to make a living. They're doing the best they can. If, if they're making a wine with another producer in another region, that might not make sense. If the wines don't reflect terroir, uh, that's fine too. Uh, which, what I mean is if, if they are buying grapes from somewhere else or um, doing something that wouldn't typically taste like their region. Sometimes it's okay. Uh, some of them aren't affected, but you know there was a rash of suicides um, because of all of these. Be because changes? of all this, wow. yeah. Well, I, I don't know that, but, but I'm, I'm sure that's a factor. Right. Um, very stressful. It's it's very stressful, and I think we just need they deserve our support um, and an open mind. And, and what they're getting a lot of times is. Uh, over-criticized for, for many things, uh, for political reasons, for practices, you know. Um, I, I just feel like we need to support them more. And does it seem like they're subjected to more scrutiny or not necessarily? Well, I can't say anyone's been unfairly scrutinized. The ones that have been scrutinized have been fairly scrutinized right. and, and they need to be called out. That's, that's you know, fairness. And, and equity is is what something we all understand and, and strive for. It's it's nothing new. Um, but um, yeah, I just think, especially in in the practices in 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 the in the winery, I think we need to be more open minded to some of the. I don't want to call them shortcuts, uh, but uh, some of the techniques and and some of the things you're they're doing to survive. It, it, it's okay. Yeah, and we're don't forget we're talking under the light of climate change. That these are things that you may have to think about doing. Sure, you're kind of forced. Sure, you know. So when you say shortcut, that's the negative. But the reality is because of that, you know, maybe you have to pivot. So are these exactly? Would you, would you say these winemakers, and again, natural, small family or whatever, they're better and more likely to pivot to do these things? Well, they have to pivot, yeah. Well, they don't have to. I'm sure some Napa cab guy is going to, you know, milk the climate change thing, planting Well, they're not going to go conventional. They're, they're not going to... No, I don't mean but, that way. I, I mean, you know, start planting other things, co-fermenting, you know, that type... I've, I've know, seen Maybe some Malbec of that. grows yeah. better in Napa and you need to blend that in. Right. Or, you know. Right. The, but the smaller, the natural guys are more likely to make the pivot because they have to. Well, yeah, they're risking more. They're not right. using the chemicals to to guarantee a product. Right. Um, so I think we're really at the, uh, I, I mean, the, the effects of climate change we've been talking about for years, but I think it just, you know, it gets more difficult. I mean, each season sort of brings another challenge. So yeah. 
I mean, I'd love to talk about that again. Um, Byron, we got to take a quick break. Um, like I said, these are some pretty heavy discussions. So <laughs> I'm not sure if, I'm the right one. If, for no, the no, no, that's not my point. My I can point only tell is you what if, I've if seen. we didn't get to everything, you know, if you didn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. We'll get to it at some point. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Byron Bates. Byron is the uh, founder, creator of the Wild World Festivals, um, Goat Boy Selections, Wine Importation. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to Byron um, about the upcoming um, Wild World Natural Wine and Fermentation Festival coming to New York. You're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Byron Bates. I know I mentioned Byron Bates once at the end of the first half. I should promote him more. Maybe I'll do that. All right. So, Wild World Natural Wine and Fermentation Festivals coming to New York at the end of the month. You and I are sitting here in early October. Uh, the Wild World, what is the official name of it? <laughs> I see Wild World. I see Wild World Festival. I see Wild World Wine <laughs> Festival. And for me, what, what do you, what what do we call it from here on? In? Um, Wild World. Wild World. Wild okay. World Fermentation Festival. Okay, Wild World Fermentation Festival. So this October thirtieth, and one of the reasons I actually wanted you on last week, Byron, but you were at your dad's birthday um, to give time to talk about this and maybe sell some tickets and, you know, anything else. Um, October 30th at Strong Rope Brewery in Red Hook, Brooklyn. It's kind of a cool spot. It's right near the water or on the water, right? I remember Mm -hmm. going to past ones and it was indoor mostly. Is this one mostly outdoor or? No, it's, it's indoors. It is indoor. Okay. You could grab a bite and walk outside and eat or eat, drink and all of that. All right, so you and I discussed this off air. Talk to me about the festival, the mechanics. Let's talk about, you know, when is it? Well, um, the basic uh, basics is it's um, October 30th from 12 to 6.30. Okay. 50-plus uh, producers of uh, all different types of wild-fermented uh, products. It's mostly natural wine, but with uh, ciders, meads, um, and some foods. There's a uh, uh, soju. Um, there's some kombucha, and our snack bar is going to be curated and run by uh, 
Emile Desmond from a great young chef from Le Chateaubriand in Paris. And he's, That's pretty hot stuff. Where he's creating a uh, stinky cheeseburger, which is be ground lamb with uh, epoise, uh, amongst many other things. So if you come for anything, come for that. Talk about going off the uh, recipe a little. Um, curiosity. You said you have 50, 50 plus producers. How do you curate and select these guys? We don't vet them. Um, and and they just have to uh, fit uh, certain parameters. But do the you wine... reach out? Do they reach out to you? Both. Do you? Both. Okay. We have a website, uh, wildworldfestival.com, uh, where they can sign up. But we, we only want the uh, wine producers to wild ferment. Um, the reason being... Uh, can uh, you just quickly tell people if they're scratching their head what a wild fermentation is um just it's just an open fermentation with uh indigenous wild yeasts that are present uh there right no addition Um, it's it's uh, not inoculated with uh, a chemical or a factory produced yeast which which most wines are uh the beers don't have to be uh wild fermented they have to be craft which there's also there's not a technical term for that but we all know what it means um the um the the meads and ciders have to be well fermented um when i say we don't vet uh i I just mean we want to be open to produce i don't want to thumbs up or thumbs down the quality of something because the idea is to improve and to share information so some of these people maybe could improve if they're around other producers and colleagues, they can share information. Uh, we're a science-based festival that's uh, that's structured around the producers and their dialogue and their needs. Uh, but it happens to be open to the public, and we sell tickets so you can come and find out. Um, so you're serving happening. the producer in yes. your mind by saying not vetting. If that guy can come, meet people, learn, it's a great. If they're going for this style of, of, of wild fermented natural wines, yes, uh, they can come. Right. I, I don't, I don't think I should say, you know, the wines suck, get out of here. Uh, <laughs> cause they want to come cause they want to improve them. Having said that, you know, nothing really sucks, you know, yeah, they're, they're sure. on the right track and they're trust, trust me. I'm sure. <laughs> um, stay with the mechanics me with me for a second. Um, we're talking about Strong Rope Brewery, a walk around tasting, you know, with 50 wine, mead, cider and all that. In addition, that's part of this festival. Talk to me about panel discussion seminars. You, you know, you're doing a dinner, you know, which further extends the reach, you know, of all of this. Right. Well, we, we call ourselves a science based festival, which means uh uh, we want to dispel myths. Uh, we're an open-minded inquiry form, um, and there's we we felt there was a a really gap there, that it was mostly a celebration at other festivals, and a, a place to sell wine, not not to be challenging or controversial. So the panel discussions did it evolve were, to that, or you always had it that started notion? With that. Yeah, it started with that. It did. Okay. The, it what has evolved this year, and what makes this one more exciting, 
more exciting to me is we're doing the panels the night before, and it's just for the producers, um, not open to the public. Uh, there's a few tickets to the public, okay. uh, which are, are being released now. Um, there's 100 seats total. I think the producers will get like 70 of them. I'm going to ask and you the, again, but where would somebody go website-wise? Because maybe they'll jump on the computer now. Wildworldfestival.com. Okay. It's $150 uh, for the dinner. It's based on the uh, King Midas Feast, which if you've read Dr. Patrick McGovern's book, uh, Ancient Fermentation, him and uh, 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 Sam from uh, Dogfish Head, um, he's an anthropologist. He's considered the, um, the Indiana Jones of fermented beverages. And he's our guest speaker along with, uh, panels with Alice Byring, uh, Garrett Oliver and, uh, and, and many others, uh, will do a panel on co-ferments, a panel on, uh, uh, ancient fermentation. And then the dinner is, uh, going to be prepared by, uh, Gabby uh, Guy Lametti used to work up in Hudson at a very famous uh, place called Monfilio Bakery, which many will know. <laughs> and he'll be doing the dinner there. And it goes from 6 to 10, um, uh, all the wines included. Uh, so you'll like be privy to ask questions for the panels. Uh, yeah. It sounds like um, a very thoughtful, well thought out uh, event. And I also like the way you differentiate. Listen, there's a lot of festivals around the world in New York. How you differentiate, you know, what this is versus others, and they all have their own, you know, shtick or whatever. Not shtick. It's a shtick, sure. They all have their own goals or. or, uh, this or is my shtick. Now you said myths that you were trying to dispel by way of the festival. Correct. You know. Give me the Casey Kasem top five, you know, <laughs> myths that we need to dispel. Uh, the insistence that natural wine doesn't give you a headache is one. That's uh, that's uh, that's BS. Anec- that's anecdotal. Okay, it's, that's not real science because people say, "Oh, there's no sulfur in it." You, you get you get headaches from having too much. Well, some people get headaches from having too much ethanol, which is which is really the the culprit here. That's low amounts you of sulfites or, or uh, I just want the science on that. And we want to hear the science. I'm not a teacher and I'm, I, I, I build this festival around uh, people teaching me or teaching us and answering the questions we might have. I don't need to hear someone say it doesn't give you a headache. Drink up. It's better for the environment. Drink up. Uh, you know, tell me why uh, and tell me why. The, the flavor is like this. Tell me, let's talk about the aesthetics and, and the politics, uh, the ethics uh, of what, uh, of, of these products. Um, that it's just good for the environment because it's less bad than conventional wine. Um, it's not good for the environment. It's just, like I said, less bad than conventional wine. Um, Wait, so we're picking words, but it's important. People think this is good for the environment. There's nothing good or bad good it's just not as bad it's as not the as other bad. practitioners it's, it's less bad less bad that was your turn that's that's fair and that's honest it's it's honest and i and i just think there needs to be a form that checks that sort of bs and that anecdotal evidence and uh that is really pointless um 
and it, it was people were running rampant with it. We were seeing panels and people discussing as if it were fact uh, some of these ideas, and it seemed to be taking over the discussions about natural wine and fermentation. Um, that well, it's this, it's this, it's this, and no one was one of those myths. You know, it's cloudy, it's mousy, it's inconsistent, or that's just part of the. Well, some are. Uh, I think I think there's a myth in the general public that, that presentation is seen as not a right wine. Exactly. Right. And, and, and it may is, not be this right. is the way it is. You're thinking otherwise. Well, it may not be to your taste, but one of the Fair. arguments I wanted any, I wanted a, a there's this tech psalm thing. The first one in in Austin we did. Um, it's like I wanted them to come. And these people that are in the press saying, announcing they don't like natural wine, I said, I can do a festival where they, it's impossible for them to say they don't like these wines. They're beautiful, or whatever beauty is. Um, they're, they're not flawed in the way they think they are. Natural wine is not a flavor profile. There is, oh, it tastes like natural wine. People uh, think that. Yeah. They think it is. It can be, it, there's, there's a bigger spectrum of flavors. And a lot of them cradle what we consider flawed or... or but why is that? I mean, is that is that an education thing? I mean, that's a crazy point to me that that's... You could dispel that, which is what we're talking about. But why do people still think that? I mean, it's just because this is in its infancy and, you know, things need to be worked out or um, understood or... Maybe some disgust for the culture around it and, and the explainism that a lot of us are guilty of. But um, in natural wine, is it's just more varied in texture, and we wanted to show that. It's more varied in aromas and flavors, and, and the spectrum of flavors is much greater. Conventional wines are, are they're cosmetically enhanced. It's, it's like, I guess, cosmetic surgery. Um, if you have work on your face done, it can, they can all sort of look similar. And the limited features of a wine or a human face that that humans can be conscious of liking are, are similar to each other. Uh, so conventional wines can start, or, or manipulated wines can start looking very similar. And the beauty or the wabi-sabi can be in the one that kind of cradles, um, that dances with flawed, that gets closer to the sun. Right. Uh, that's where real beauty comes from. I don't. I don't. Not a dogmatic about sulfites. Many are, wines are very bad, but I can say the most. Because of no sulfites, they're I bad? Can, no. I, well, I can say the, the best wines I've ever had were without sulfur. But Can you most, name one or two? Just, I don't remember. Okay. but uh, French? But they can just be just extraordinary and perfect. Uh, but they take real risk doing that. Still. Uh, it's really lucky that, oh, sure. Years and years later. Sure, sure. Is it's, the risk like shipping it, you know, temperature changes, putting it on a boat or a plane, or it goes way before sure, that? Sure, it can get matterized easier. That's part oh, of it. Yeah, also, three days after it's fermented. Or, right. from, or re-ferment. Um, yeah, many things can go wrong. Chance is open to more degrees of chaos. Um, and you'll get that with notch wine. It's, it's a risk, but it's not boring. And life shouldn't be boring, should it? No, it true that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, if you know, you know. If you don't, you need to try. That's right. You know. Um, 
Should I open this now? Yeah. Let me ask you about this. Y you know, we've been talking about wines. Good luck opening that. We had to get five. Uh... I'm going to blind taste you on this, but. Okay. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, a little about farming, certainly what you do in the cellar, what the philosophy is. What we haven't talked about is the people and the culture. Now, part of the culture we talked about is part of the culture we talked about is how people perceive, you know, natural wines and all that. Mm -hmm. But there's also a culture of the winemakers and the community. And that's as much about like people, you know, ethics, mm -hmm. people working and all of that. I mean, is that more present in natural wine, natural winemakers? I would think so, right? It's 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 part of the overall culture. It's a big part of the overall culture. I think sometimes we go too far and ask too much of the producers um, and expect we put them on a pedestal a lot of times. Now um, we do. And that can be dangerous. First, they put the, chefs on a pedestal. Yeah. They were rock stars. Then a lot of psalms sort of made their way. Social media helped all of that. You know what happens. Restaurants were the original. You know what happens when you're on a pedestal? Fall off. Yeah, you can fall off. Yeah. yeah. I, no, I agree with all of that. Then winemakers, you know, these guys, you know, became, they were put on pedestals and, you know, everybody kind of bowed to them. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. Um, so there's definitely a different and better culture. All right. So you're pouring a wine. In a few minutes, we're going to get more in depth you know, about the wines, but you want me to see if I could figure out what this is? Oh, it's not that hard. It smells like a cider. <laughs> but what do I know? I have to spit today. Wow, is that good. You like that? I'm thinking pear. Pear cider? Pear co-ferment? Wow. Uh, it's, you don't have to spit. Because it's kombucha. In a. Mm. So I could say it at Raw Wine. I did the guys from New York. I did kombucha. And I didn't commit the taste enough to memory. And I remember walking away. Of course. That well, uh, 10 years ago. I. But know. this is. People think of kombucha. You buy in a bodega. There's four of them across. Exactly. This is exactly. like artisanally made to the next level. See the bottle. It's 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 they. Wait, they're is presenting there no it. alcohol in here? No alcohol. It's presented as a wine. I had this at Fulgurance, and they blind tasted it with one of the courses, and we all thought Petnat. Yeah, I would uh, say Petnat. Yeah, I would say Petnat, or I said cider first, because there's a teeny bit of fruitiness to it. That I find here more than um, um, in a pet nap. It's it's a little yeah. It's not as um, deceptive as another cuvee I had of this, but it's from uh, Unified Ferments. Which those are the guys I spoke to. Yeah, yeah. There aren't they in town or in Brooklyn? Or they're something? in Brooklyn. Yeah. They're uh, two guys. near the Navy Yard in Clinton Hill. Two guys, um, uh, old friends, uh, and the goal is to approach the complexity and depth of wine. While honoring the tea, and this is an oolong from Central Taiwan. I remember uh, they were using tea. Wenxing. That's Wenxing what I'm also. getting. I, I'm getting the that. Yeah. You know, as a little kid, you drink Chinese tea, and you'd have this distinctive <laughs> sort of like aftertaste. 
this is it in a good way. Um, it has the aesthetics of 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 a fermented alcoholic beverage, um, and that's kind of why I had this represent Wild World. Is that was kind of the through line with with the beers we were, we were choosing, um, and the wines and the ciders. There's there's more in common with uh, these craft products, these these fermented products. I think with natural wine, the natural wine has with conventional wine, uh, which is a bigger chasm to me. Right. Uh, aesthetically, there's a through line with lambic beers, kombucha made like this, uh, ciders What's made like. What's lambic? The introdu- introduction of fruits or uh, other flavorings? Uh, lambic or cool ship, uh, wild fermented uh, beer like like what Cantillon does. If you could only get it now. Exactly. Um, so lambic is the style. Yes. Okay. Um, can you? This is the dumbest, most infor- uninformed question I'm going to ask you. <laughs> can you make alcoholic kombucha? Yes. I mean, is I think the, it's very low. Right. Um, so you wouldn't do it to make it close to a pet net. That's not what you're. No. No. I, I, I think you're talking is. maybe two percent tops, yeah. and I'm okay. I'm guessing. Uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, with Young from uh, Unified Ferments, and he did want to point out that it's non-alcoholic. Um, so this is a great alternative to people that can't can't really drink alcohol. I think so, and or it, want or drink a lot of alcohol and need to drink a little right. less. That you that's know, what, that's what cider has been it's doing. Complex. It's interesting. It's delicious. I remember. Do you remember that? pomegranate drink palm yeah sure i had a friend Tasted nothing like pomegranate no but i had a friend that used to drink that when she wanted to try to drink less or whatever like drink less uh sober january and she said palm gave her that sensation of, right, of red uh, wine antioxidant and yeah there's tannins a little bit yeah feel and all yeah it's also and about 180 her. calories yeah, exactly she didn't realize it <laughs> um that's funny um so this is the United Ferment, Un, uh, yeah, Unified Ferment. Unified Ferments in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, um, they all it's always wine bottles, right? It's not the kombucha in the shop, right? Um, and they're they're blowing up. They're doing such good work. Are you? Do you rep these guys? No, no you said no, you no, didn't. You no. said you didn't. I'm sorry, I brought that up. All right, as Just a last, a fan. as a last topic, and you know, we promised not to spend a lot of time. Um, congratulations on Goat Boy. I guess you've been doing it about a decade. Right. Oh my goodness! You started it like you said in thirteen. It's twenty three this year. At some point, you hit that uh, ten year mark, right? So, sort of a ten year mark. For the first six, we were didn't know what you were doing. (laughs) (laughs) That's the last six. The first six, we were um, with a with a large uh, importer import company. So independent. After that six, we were like a, a segment of their book. They bought the wines and did all the logistics. Uh, but that was always the deal. We and and it, it was birthed out of presenting to a, a a larger importer. They need natural wine, and we're the people that can do it. Interesting. And now now they're doing well with natural wines. Um, all right, I'm curious who it is, but I'm not going to ask you. Who cares? Um, so it's funny what you just said. You went in one way and you've come out another way. You know, I was going to ask you what your intentions are. I guess intentions or plans 
change. When you started it, we talked about how you segued from restaurant to importer. Was the intention obvious? I just want to drink these wines that I believe in and bring these guys in and champion them? This has been vaguely, yes, but more recently, uh, starting with um, COVID and then the, the Trump tax on wines, which was devastating, um, and then this last summer, which was equally devastating in its the own death way. death of Rosé. When, when we had invested heavily in Rosé. Right. <laughs> but we want to, and I say we, uh, me and my partner Bill, uh, Bill Fitch, um, we want to do something, it, it sounds so simple-minded and, and, and corny, but let's just, let's just focus on wines we really like and buy those. Let's not try to like, oh, we need a Prosecco because we got to make money. We need this because we got to make money. I think there's so much noise out there that if people can just look at the back label, if they have a wine shop they like, then they know who to turn to to turn them onto new wines. If they if they go to a wine shop when they don't know who's in there, they can turn the ball around and see, you know, Zevrovine selections or LDM, which is Dresner, Jenny and Francois, maybe Goat Boy, and and each of the importers kind of have their own aesthetic uh, tastes, their own uh, style. And we want to develop that style. We want to be, I've always seen us as like a sommelier's friend. Like, unfortunately, there's not a lot of really curious sommeliers out there. But if I were a sommelier, I'm like, nobody has that. You have very little of it. I want it all. Like, boom. Uh, the import section. Not enough of that. And you said something that I, I preach and my guests do exactly what you do. If you know wine, you kind of know what to do, where to go. If you don't know, there are two things you could do, and that's be inquisitive to the right people at the right place. If you know there's a cool local wine store, I mean, they're there to curate good stuff and turn you on. So you, you ask them. You say, hey, I like a light red wine or blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. So talking to people is one thing, and you could apply that to sommeliers too, but you know we've talked about the flaws of sommeliers. And really the other thing is you guys go through so much pain you know, business-wise and philosophically to bring in all these great winemakers. You turn the back of a wine bottle, and you know you're going to find a certain type of wine from Goat Boy, from Kermit Lynch, you know, from Jenny and Francois. We just solved everyone's problem in a way. Sure. You know, I, I, but you have to look and you have to ask, you know, which is important. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's it, it's kind of as simple as that, you know. So, um, you know, I was going to ask you and you answered it. I mean, the importance of a wine importer, you know, is sort of underrated because these are the guys we're that the are giving you the options. We're the conduit between yeah. the producer and the wholesaler. Right. And the sommelier is the conduit between the customer and and the producer. And like you said, you have a philosophy. You pick the wines you like. You're not bringing a Prosecco in because you need it in the lineup. The books that fail so have no philosophy. People who go to your, you know, um, 
portfolio. If they love it, they stick with it. If they don't, there's other options. Sure. You know, not the end of the world. So. And you're not going to like everything. We would be, to me, that no. would be boring. I, I agree with But that you're going to be challenged or intrigued or... So many, many more years to go, boy. And hopefully... Well, thank uh, you. Life gets easier. And listen... I don't have to tell you what to do in life, but I'm going to tell you order less rosé next year. That's that please, sounds like sound please advice. Please listen to me. All right, so we went backwards. We um, Byron brought in a um, a, a uh, kombucha, which we talked about, the unified kombucha made from oolong tea, um, and. I didn't mention this, but I post, you know, everything. I'm going to post what we tasted for our wine sip. Um, I'm going to ask you quickly to answer my uh, wine list. Five questions. I asked you. Oh, boy. I asked you these same five questions, you know, four years ago, and I'll do a comparison. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? And that is in the context of what are you curious about? What's in your fridge? What are you Mm. drinking, you know, over and over? You know, the season changes may change that. Sure. And just a few things. What do you? Well, right now, anything tied into a wild world. Uh, Okay, so your focus is is related. A lot of cider, a lot of local cider, a lot of uh, craft beers, uh, lambic beers. uh, More of that than even wine itself. No. Okay. But equal to it, uh, kombuchas that are interesting, and there are a lot of interesting kombuchas now. Yes. Words I never thought I would say. Yeah, which um, is pretty cool. But keep an open mind, right? Yeah. You know, and hopefully more people get into it and do it the right way. So what you're drinking now is a variety of things that particularly relate to the festival, which is wild ferments of wine, beer, mead, kombucha. Um, good answer. A lot of times I say, well, give me some specifics. I think if you look at the lineup at Wild World, there's your answer. Right. You know, it's any of those guys. All right. I think I may have gotten caught on this. And I asked you before because it's the goofiest effing question. And the question is your favorite wine and food pairing. Well, I told you I I wasn't. I thought five, seven years ago, this was a cool question. The last four years, I prefaced it by saying this is the nerdiest question, but I'm not about to take it off. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, you've tasted a lot of wines. You have been in the food business. I'm not asking you what you think the best wine and food pairing is. I'm asking what you like. What I like, um, I told you I wasn't going to say something corny or cute. Right. But I'm going to get cute with the answer. Okay. I'll uh, be the I, judge of that. I lied. Okay. It doesn't get any cornier than this. Come on, let's go. Loire Cabernet Franc with fall leaves, and a scarf. I don't know what to do. Punch you or throw you out. But punching is very violent. So let me rid myself in the room of that thought. And it would be interruptive to throw you out. Okay, we got the fun answer out. Now give me a friggin' answer, will you? Is it Pinot Noir and chicken? I mean, what is it? Um, no, it's, it's, it's Cabernet Franc with uh, fall leaves. Uh, like a Chinon, a, a rustic Chinon, like uh, Marula or Lenoir. With? Um, well, any fall dish, you know. Okay. Roasted, roasted, so roasted we, vegetables. Right. We move stew, into that yeah. hardier. Okay. But there is something about Cabernet Franc that, it, it, autumn about it. So 
when you answer that question, your love of Cabernet Franc and how you think about it triggers you to start the answer with Cabernet Franc and then what goes with I it. Mean, Cabernet Franc is the most difficult grape to enjoy. It's It seems to only be good when it's organic and in the Loire Valley. And even then it's like 5%. Yeah, and you're right about it's, that. But when it's spectacular, man. You're right. Shannon, the same, only Loire. Yes. To, yeah. For me. And you know what? It, it's not one of the wines that a million people are making, but they're making it everywhere. And right. To your point, you know, right. you got to go back to the source. All right. Um, I hope you can answer this because when I ask it, I don't want you to feel like you have to rank it or if you exclude anyone, you screwed them. But the question is your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. And the question is, who are the good practitioners of food and wine or just the wine bar? And this is a Byron question. It's not like, you know, well, these guys are the best. It's where do you go that you're comfortable or the vibe is good or the list, you know, um, uh, 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 impresses you? Well, you know, um, you know, I like surprises. And so I've listed some places that continually surprise me and are the import sections of, of wine these days. Uh, my favorite is, um, uh, there's a, in Montmartre in Paris, it's uh, called rock bottles and it's an English expat name, uh, Oliver Gage. And you go in there, it's just, you don't know anything. You, he, he does it's a retail or a wine retail. Okay. Uh, it's wines you've never heard of. And he goes deep. He does his work. He studies. He goes like to every no salon else? like no one else. Wow. Highly recommend that. I don't think anybody's ever uh, mentioned that guy. Give me something else like that. Um, for an interesting list in Barcelona, the Monochrome. In Texas, there's uh, Light Monochrome's Years. Monochrome's the name of the restaurant? Restaurant, yeah. In Texas, there's... You don't hear people talk about Monochrome when you hear a bar. Great little list in a great little square. See, solid this is food. what I'm looking for. Yeah. All right, Texas. Go to uh, Light Years in Houston uh, and Lolo in Austin. Great list, passionate uh, proprietors. Always a surprise, always fun. Uh, there's, oh, there's a new bar, and uh, I just went to um, New Orleans fairly recently. It's called uh, the Tell Me Bar. Oh, that's have you uh, heard of that's what's his name? Corey. Corey. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, that's they, a great they're getting bar. a lot of recognition. Uh, I, I guess COVID delayed the opening delayed and it, all right. that, and they got going. It's like the coolest bar in it's the country, the and certainly in yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. One more I want to shout out to for this summer. I went to um, spend some time in France. There's a bar in a town called Set, which is out. It's a coastal town. A rust uh, industrial kind of uh, sea town known for its oysters. And there's a natural wine bit there, bar there called Cava Van Vivant in Set. Set is S E T S E T E. T E. Okay. Um, and where, and what's the closest? Montpellier. Okay. But but everyone is around there Matassa, La Sorga, uh, Peyras, uh, so many producers are within that region. But what I love about it, and what wow. I love about the natural wine bar scene, is you go to a place like this, and you find you find an own raisin or word of mouth, and you go to this spot, and it's a culture there and a community of, I guess, natural wine lovers, if that's a thing. And, you know, 
the whole trip was set after that. They told you where to go. Well, we don't go there for oysters. I know a spot. Wow. Someone nudges you them. So you, you shouldn't like be that. telling them about this spot. Like, right. Yeah, amazing. And that's kind of what I look for. Choose the wines for me. Tell me where to go. That's me too. Yeah. It's in your hands. It's in your hands. Exactly. I know shit. Exactly. Exactly. You tell me, you know, I mess it up every time. Especially when I'm totally out of an element. Totally. You know. Um, all right. Those are good ones. And like I said, I'm going to post those. And that's why I do this thing because it disseminates great information that only, you know, guys like you will, you know, come across and touch. All right. Fourth question. And let me set this up for you before you jump into it. Favorite all-time wine. In the old days when I started the show, you know, I would like to ask Aldo some, you know, what's your favorite all-time wine? And I was leaning towards, you know, Aldo, you're exposed to everything. What was the most expensive, you know, rare wine? I don't care about that. The question now is favorite all-time wine in the context of what is that wine to Byron Bates that was an awakening wine, a gateway wine, you know, an influencer wine that changed the way you thought. And it may not be one. It could be a few. Maybe you can't answer it. No, um, maybe it's like, well, it's the, the wine. Maybe I it's like leaves in a scarf. The wine. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, that's my answer. Again. Okay. We're doing that ditto, again. Ditto. <laughs> um, um, one of the most seminal wines, which I think back on a lot, it's defunct now, uh, but it's Domaine de Pera. 2004. Can you spell for me so I know what? That uh, Domaine de P E Y R A. P E Y R A. It was uh, in the Auvergne. It was all Gamay. Um, Stéphane Majun and Emmanuel uh, Chavassieu. Um And it was it was just it was when natural wine had started. So 2004, 2005. This came along. It was like eighty, ninety dollars a. Uh, a carton, a, a case wholesale. Uh, we were pouring it by the glass. Everyone sort of had it, and it became a phenomenon. And then it just is gone. What but, uh, what region did you say it was from? Auvergne, it's, Auvergne. Uh, volcanic, uh, Gamayan volcanic soil. Those were those were great. When those did they stop fun. making wine? Two thousand seven, I think. Is there any of it around? I had it in Copenhagen five years ago, and. Uh, uh, the waitress, she's like, oh, you want, uh, you want uh, the pera? Okay, okay, let's do it, let's do it. So you know, it's five minutes open, poof, it's gone. So we're like, we got it, like it's light, it's, 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 it's volcanic soil, it's gamay. It's like, well, there's five of us, we'll get through it in five right. minutes. Pour it, we'll drink so it. There was a little bit of magic left in it, and, and you, you Did still- Did you capture could, it? You, I mean, you got it in the glass? Yeah, it's still there. Was it ridiculously priced or not necessarily? No, no, not what? really. Saturn used to have some late in there in Paris. I think they're closed now, but they, they had some. You see it a few places now. And the other was Brendeshev, uh, Mino Pino by Claude Tubab, Thierry Puzelat, and his brother. Um, that was just, it was a grape I'd never heard when of. did you drink that? Uh, 2004 or five. Okay. So these were the early shaping. Oh, man. It was like to these Montreche. It was beautiful. But these wines, I'm asking you, stood out. I mean, that's why you're recalling them. I mean, I'm sure you had other ones, but these are notables. That was the turn. It was, right. That was, those were seminal for sure. Um, those are good ones. And like I said, post those. All right. Last question. And, you know. A lot of times I put people on the spot and say, if 
if you can't answer this one properly, then who can? Uh Um, And the question is, recommend to me the best wines around 15, 20, Uh, uh, 22 bucks. I need a red and a white. The redundant setup is my kids are in their late 20s, early 30s. They can't bring a shitty $11 supermarket wine to a dinner as a gift. But they also are the can or not spending 45. So how do you wow and ooh at Nineteen twenty three dollars you know what are you bringing you could do region you know muscadet whatever or you could do makers both whatever so give me a recommend a red and a white to me okay um keep the price range in mind the price range is in mind uh white okay um roditas from peloponnese wait uh, roditas is the maker it's the grape the grape r-o-d-i-t-i-s Roditas. Roditas. And it's, it's, what, it's what um, um, Retsina is made with. Okay. It's from a producer called uh, Tetramethos. Spell T-E. Uh, Tetramethos. Is this Greek? It's Greek, yes. Okay. Tetramethos. All right. I'll figure everything out. A full disclosure, it, it's a goat boy one. Okay. So, yeah, I'm but, fine but, with that. But it's it's great value. Um, it's... Um, it, it hits that mark of $15. Also, the Retsina he does, fantastic Retsina. Are these like, good food wines? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. All right. So I'm. It's Roditas Nature. So it's, it's also Sans Souf. Okay. Beautiful, inexpensive, all you, all you need. You get everything you want at the price. I, I'm pretty comfortable saying I don't think anyone's ever recommended that wine on the show. No, we, we've no done one has. almost 300 <laughs> wine lists. Nobody put that. All right, so that's my white. What's my red? Oh, uh, red, a little more difficult. Red is more difficult. I in the price under around 15 retail. You can go 20, 22, 23 bucks retail. Okay. Um, what was I will go with a. I don't, I don't care know if it's, it's twenty two. It's boy. close. It's yeah. I'm, I don't care. I'm sorry, folks. I'm under pressure. No, you don't have to apologize. My I'm letting wife. you. Out. I'm happy to talk about Goat Boy. Wine. Thank you. Because um, of the reason why that you you know curate procure these you know winemakers and they're just in a list of good winemakers. So who's the red? Let's go with uh, Louis Maur. M A U E R. Okay. Young winemaker in Alsace and his Pinot Noir, which is on the inexpensive side. I think it would be about 20, 22 wholesale. Um, it's got that uh, rusticity of, of you, you recognize from like a Frick or Binet uh, Alsatian Pinot, a little softer, um, but great food wine, great, uh, great, great That's wine a good on its wine. own. Yeah, it's um, delicious. Is it it's really good? Characteristic of Alsatian Pinots? It is. Has it a, is, but a little softer. Okay. Um, like I said, I'm going to post all of those. I mean, we didn't go quick, but you know, there's a lot of new names and all that. So you know, I do a social media post with the wine list, so everybody will, you know, what was Byron talking about? What's that white wine? You'll all have access to the postings. Um, I thank you for that. You did an admirable job on that with some exciting uh, new wines. All right, Byron, we got to wrap up. By- Byron said to me, he goes, we're doing the interview? What's it going to be about? 
35 minutes. I just want you to know we're well, at you know, the flew one by, right? We're at the one and a half hour mark almost. All right, Byron, let me do a quick wrap up and I need some info from you to help our listeners. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the That's Sam at the As always, subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. If you like the show, leave a good review. Um, and also, like I said, subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby and on Twitter at BenRuby, which are two different things. But you can always get us at the hashtag TheGrapeNation. Um, we're at Facebook um, at TheGrapeNation. As I mentioned, we will post Byron's wine list, those five questions, all the great specific answers. I'll post those. The weekly wine sip, which was out of order today. Um, The kombucha. I'll give you more info on that. Um, And Byron, let's just check people again. Where can we find more information on the festival we mentioned it but let's tell everyone the place to go to to see if there's tickets for the panels that dinner the grand tasting or the walk around tasting where do we go oh wildworldfestival.com uh tickets festival with no s festival with no s right. um it's 45 dollars a ticket we're the cheapest festival we have no corporate sponsorship we have the lowest table fee for producers uh, we're going to have uh, food by Emil from Le Chateaubriand, so please come out and support us. Um, that's a pretty good offering for the price. Um, it has to be cheap these days. There's too many I, festivals. I guess. Um, and that is October 30th at Strong Rope Brewery in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Overlooks the bay and the uh, Statue of Liberty. It's a gorgeous setting. What, um, what was the time again? Uh, 12 to 6, 30. 12 to 6. So don't get there too early because you won't get in. And don't bum yourself out and get there too late. Um, it does sound great. Isn't the dinner up in Hudson? Uh, there's a pop-up dinner with um, the chef from Chateaubriand after Peripheral, uh, which I'd encourage people to come to also on Saturday. It's at Rivertown Lodge. It's $95 a person, which is a bargain. Which is a bargain for uh, and you can get tickets. Also go to the website or go to um, Resi for tickets okay. for that night at Rivertown Lodge. Okay. Um, all right. Um, oh, and the dinner. There's a few tickets left for October 29th at the Red Hook Brewery with uh, Dr. Patrick McGovern, Alice Byring, and Garrett Oliver. You mentioned that. And, right? yeah, okay. That's with yeah, wine yeah. and food. No, yeah. no, I'm happy yeah, to go, mention go it again. Yeah, go to that um, so there's on the website Hudson also. Valley and here at Strong Rope. Yes. Here is Alice, Garrett, and Dr. Dr. Pat McGovern. Okay. Um, and there's wine and food. There's wine and food, That's and we're going to get really geeky. And like you said, reservations, tickets still available for everything? There's a few general uh, 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 public tickets for that. Okay. So get off your behind if you want to do this, because if you wait, they won't be there. All right, Byron, Byron, I want to thank our guest, Byron Bates, um, for coming in and talking about everything, Natural Wine, his festivals. As always, thank you to our engineer, Armin, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. 
The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.